0: Good morning, family. Hope everyone's having a good Sunday so far. Thank you, band. Thank you for the choir. Isn't it great when you have all those voices up here singing? <clears throat> well, welcome again to River Valley Community Church. I've already said that once this morning, but I'll say it again. Uh, we're, we're continuing our series through the book of John, and we'll be in uh, John chapter 3 today. But before we do that, I just want to make a plug for uh, a book um, that if you're interested in reading a book that's a lot about the chapter we're about to read, it's uh, by John Piper called Finally Alive. I recommend it highly. Um, If you are interested in reading it, just tell me and I'll buy you a copy because I think um, it's that good. So just come up to me afterwards and you'll get a copy. I don't have them with me, but I'll buy you a copy. Because I'm a nerd, and I like to give books to people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time. A time when we can gather as your people, a time when we can gather as your body, and and celebrate, and rejoice, and sing, and learn, and be with you and each other as you have designed us to be. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your your word that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts so that we can be moved to love you more, to obey you more, to follow you with all of who we are, to love each other better, to share you with others and all the other things we're called to do. Lord, we love you, we seek you, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I once heard this story, I actually read this story, about a famous celebrity uh, being interviewed. And during this, this interview, they, the subject of this celebrity's faith came up because it was kind of new. And so the interviewer says, well, you're a Christian. And the celebrity said, yes. And then the interviewer said, are you a born-again? To which the celebrity said, I don't know what that means. Now that might be just a confusion of those people, the interviewer or the celebrity, but I think it shows a confusion in the lingo, because sometimes people use this lingo of being a born again, as the uh, interview said, as kind of that extremist Christian, that Jesus freak, the crazies we don't really want to associate with, right? But that shows a misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian, for as we see in John chapter three, you cannot separate following Christ with this concept of being born again. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to John chapter 2. For to understand the beginning of chapter 3, we have to start at the end of chapter 2. And we're going to start in John chapter 2, verse 23, and we'll read until John chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and when they saw the signs he was doing, when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? The new life requires a new you. That's what Jesus is telling us in this passage, that the new life requires a new you. He's looking at Nicodemus and says, this new life that I've come to bring to my believers, the people who follow me, this new life that you need cannot happen unless you are made new. That sinners need to repent of their sin and be transformed and be changed to enter the kingdom of heaven to enter the kingdom of God, to come face to face with their maker. The new life that awaits, the new one that is ours in Christ, this new life requires that we are changed, transformed. The new life requires a new you. And Jesus knows this because he knows, as we see at the end of chapter 2, what is in man. Jesus has performing signs and miracles, and it says that the people who believed in him in Jerusalem during the Passover feasts, but he did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knows what is in man, and he knows that these people are going to try to make him king without the cross, which is not the plan of God. That they don't understand fully of how that Jesus is coming to save humanity, and so he knows what is in man, which is that connection when. Of Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus in the night, Jesus knows this man as well. He knows what's in that man, Nicodemus. We see at the beginning of chapter 3, Nicodemus walks, fought, finds Jesus in the night, most likely because it says he's a Pharisee. He's part of this, this party, this grassroots movement that, of being holier than holy, you know, following the law as perfect as a can. And he did not want his other Pharisees' buddies to know that he was going to go see Jesus. And so he traveled to Jesus, he went to Jesus in the night, and he confessed and professed something that the Pharisees didn't want people to say. He said, Jesus, we recognize, I know that you're from God. Because no one else could do the things you're doing. I know you're from God. And so Nicodemus here is expressing a fledgling belief. He doesn't, he doesn't recognized Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's coming to save, but he's recognizing at the very least, Jesus, you have to be a prophet sent by God. And so he's expressing this fledgling belief. And what does Jesus say to him? It seems like a non-secretary to us, right? He says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, unless you, Nicodemus, the holier than holier Jew that you are, unless you are made new, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because sinners cannot re-enter a relationship with their maker unless they are changed. That an unrepentant one cannot tag along and come to know God as we're supposed to unless they are changed. He says, you must be born again. That humanity is stuck. We're stuck because we have sinned and we are sinners and we're separated from our holy God and we cannot undo it on our own. We're stuck in this place and we need someone to change us so that we can re-enter a relationship with God, which is why Jesus says we must be born again. We need newness. We need a fresh start. We need to be recreated. We need to be born again. The new life requires a new you. Have you guys ever wished for a do-over? I know I have. Maybe way too much. You stuck your foot in your mouth. You hurt a loved one. You said words you wished you could just take back you exploded maybe with anger you, you i'm sure we can go on and on where we're just like man i wish i could just have a do-over and jesus here is saying here is the ultimate do-over because he knows what is in our hearts he looks upon us all of human humanity and says i know you and i know you need a do-over For you have gone astray, you have gone your own way, you have done what you want, you have ignored your God. You need a do-over. You need a fresh start. You need to be made new. But This is not a fresh start like we would have a fresh start on the same flawed basis. No, this is a fresh start based on him. As Jesus says, "You need a do over, but a do over with me by your side, a do over with me walking by you, a do over with me carrying you through, a do over based on what I have done for you and how I love you." And this is what Jesus brings us, because a new life requires a new you. But the new you is a, the new life in Christ is more than just a fresh start. As we see it, it goes deeper than that this is why jesus describes it as a new birth it's a whole new creation it's a whole new you and the deepest sense of who you are and he says you must be born of the water and the spirit and right there jesus is showing the extent of this new birth he's using water as a symbol and he says you need to be born again you need to be born from the water you need your past to be washed clean Your rebellion, your sins, your transgressions, the things you have knownly done and the things you have unknownly done, the the ways that are opposed to my ways, they need to be washed clean. You need to be separated from that past. But you need more than that. You need to be born of the Spirit the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts and changes them. You need to be changed at your very core, Jesus says. You need to be born again of the Spirit. You need to be regenerated to use theological language. You need to be changed from one who does not love God to one who does love God. You need to be changed from one who does not want to follow to one who does want to follow. You need your very affections, your very loving nature to be changed to one that now points to Christ. You need to be changed, not just from the past, but your very soul, heart, who you are, needs to be changed. This reflects the promise and the prophecy we see again and again through the Old Testament and New Testament that we are going to be changed from the inside out, that God's going to do this. And you can really see this clearly in Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27, which says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. We see this this action that Jesus talked about, both being cleansed from our past and being made new. Ezekiel. Because we have two problems. All of humanity has two problems. We have sinned, and we are sinners. We have sinned. We have done things, knowingly and unknowingly, things that we, not doing the things we're supposed to do, and just not doing the things we're we're supposed to do, and we have sinned. We have transgressed the law of God. We have lived for ourselves. We have been selfish. We have not been loving like we've been called to. We've been hurting people. We have used our tongue as a weapon and have cut people to the very quicks. We have not followed Christ as we're supposed to. And in fact, we have done so, so many things. If you cataloged them, it would be pretty depressing all the ways in which we have done wrong. We have sinned, but we have all, are also sinners. That before we know Christ, at the very core of who we are, we don't want God. For we want to be our own God. We want to be our own masters. We want to rule our own fate. That we are not only sinners, I mean we not only have sinned, but we are sinners. We are in rebellion actively against our creator. And these two problems, the fact we have sinned and we're sinners, find their solution in this new life that Jesus brings to us. This new life that Ezekiel promises because we'll be cleansed from the past. We'll be separated from our past sin. It will no longer be connected to us. It will be paid in Christ. But more importantly than that, God will reach into our dead bodies and pull out a heart of stone. A heart that wants nothing to do with him He'll rip it out and give us instead one that beats and loves him. we will be made new to seek and to follow God. Because a new life requires a new you. If you believe in Christ, if you have professed Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's who you are. That's where you stand having been cleansed of your past and now been remade as Christ wants to be made to follow him with a new heart that loves him. He does this. Because make no mistake, God does this. Christ does this. This is not something of our own making. We do not cause ourselves to be born again. That's almost as ridiculous as saying a baby caused themselves again to be born. No, I'm not a doctor, but I think some someone else has something about to do with that on when someone is born. And Jesus says it's the same with being born again in him, by water and spirit. we 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 can't control it. It's determined by something outside of us. He says and to point make this point clear, he points to the wind and says, "You can't see the wind, you, you, you hear it, you see its effects, and it's the same way by those who are born again in the Spirit of God. Because we can't see the Spirit, but we see its effects. We can't see, actively see the Spirit, but we see and we know when someone has it. Why? Because we see families restored. We see marriages rebuilt. We see unforgiven People find forgiveness in the community of God. We see unrepentant ones actually humble themselves and ask for forgiveness. We see all these effects of the Spirit working on people's lives. Those who once lived for themselves now want to live for others and to make Christ known. So while we can't see the Spirit, we see the Spirit working in people who know Christ. We can't control it. Why? Because the Spirit's God. We cannot control God. God is outside of our control. And let me tell you, even though that might chafe us a little bit, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that He's bigger than us. It's a good thing we can't really fully understand, grasp Him because He is God and we're not. And why it was hard for us to grasp because we want control, we see that's actually a good thing. And it actually answers one of the most fundamental questions you can have about the Christian faith and life. Why do some people believe and some don't? Have you guys ever thought that? If you ever shared your faith, you probably have thought that. Because when you share your faith, the one thing you do know is that you don't know how people are going to respond. When you share who Jesus is, you really don't know what they're going to do. And maybe you've been on the side of it where you have shared winsomely, kind of proud of yourself. Like, man, I had it down. They were nodding along, falling along with the scripture. I can see the gears turning. Man, they would be fools not to ask to be baptized right here and now. Kind of felt high. Like, yes, man, I had that down. But then they don't respond with faith. What happened? Why do some people believe and some don't? I experienced this actually in a kind of comical way Is man, almost like nine or eight years ago when I was doing collegiate ministry, I was investing in these, these college kids, and they brought one of their friends over to sit on my back porch and hang out, <clears throat> and he did not believe in Jesus, and so all of a sudden it turned into the, you know, Christian tag team witnessing hour, right, because we had him cornered. He was a captive audience, and man, we had all of his answers, all of his questions answered before he even asked them. He was put into a corner of his own making. We're like, whoo, hallelujah. We're going to get a conversion on our hands. This is going to be great. You can see the gears turning, and he had nothing to say. We had, we, I mean, we tag-teamed him. I mean, he had nothing to say. But then all of a sudden, I'm like, man, he is going to make a profession for Christ. And then he comes out with this gem. Have you ever seen the show Ancient Aliens? Maybe it was this all aliens what happened? I, swear I could have sworn that he was going to come to know who Christ was. And he pulls out that gem. Why do some people believe and some don't? But maybe we're on the other side of the spectrum where we have stumbled and fumbled our way through a gospel presentation. And then somehow by the grace of God, someone says, man, that makes sense. I want to know more about Jesus. What happened there? It wasn't me. I could hardly get my words out. I couldn't even refer to the right passages. Why would someone believe in that situation but not in another situation? It reminds me of a a good friend I had who uh, worked with me in Young Life in um, a a ministry that reached out to high school kids, and he had invested his time and energy through countless hours with this high schooler talking about Jesus and his need to know who Jesus is, and this high schooler never made a profession of faith He moved off to college. And then my friend gets a call from this guy and says, hey, man, I came to know Christ at a collegiate ministry meeting. My friend couldn't help it. He's like, well, was this a better speaker than me? (laughs) Did he have more convincing proof? Like, what made it click? And this guy was like, nah, man, I don't know. I said, "I I realized I believe this. This clicked for me. Why do some people believe and some don't? Well, Jesus tells us it's because the wind blows where it will. We don't understand it. We don't understand how God moves. But Jesus tells us why do some people believe? Why are some people born again? It's because the Holy Spirit moves in ways we can't know. The Holy Spirit moves when we least expect it. And sometimes when we expect the Holy Spirit to move, it doesn't seem to be moving how we want it to move, Him to move. The Holy Spirit works how God wants to work. And that is a good thing. It's a really good thing. Because if salvation, the Holy Spirit moving, was dependent upon me, I couldn't sleep at night. If someone coming to know who Christ was was dependent upon my ability to answer their arguments correctly or my ability to be winsome and persuasive or my ability to somehow convince them to change their mind, I could not sleep at night. For I would dread every waking moment that I was now sharing my faith, trying to find someone to share with them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because they're either going to hell without him or, or, or they're going to know him. And if it was dependent on me, me, that's a weight I could not bear. It would destroy me. So it's a good thing to know that it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon God. Now I know that God uses me. And that he uses all of us who believe. And so I should train myself. I should know the answers. I should work hard to be winsome and, and persuasive when I talk to non believers. But I'm freed because I know it's not me. I'm freed, why? Because I know when I slip and stumble, God is perfect. I'm freed because when I know I don't have the right answers, God has the right answers. I'm freed because I know when I am not going to be persuasive enough, guess what? The Holy Spirit is as persuasive as he needs to be. And hearts are changed from rebellious people to people who know who Christ is. And so I'm actually free to share my faith. Why? Because when I share, I know when I trust that God is moving through my very words and that God can convince someone when I can't. I can't even convince my kid what to eat. How can I convince someone else that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? The Holy Spirit can. It can change someone who at the very core was a rebellious sinner into someone who now is a son and daughter of the Most High. I can't do that. And that is a good thing. It's also a good thing because it protects me in in my view of my own salvation. It's not my doing. If it was my doing, I would puff up. I'm like, yeah, I got it going on, and you guys are fools if you don't believe. That's not how it is. Rather, I say, oh, wretch that I am, a sinner of unclean thoughts and unclean actions. Praise be to God that you have saved me. Praise be to God that you took a rebel like me and made him your son. Praise be to you. It brings up this joy. It brings up this satisfaction that I have not done it, but Christ has done it. And it makes me realize that I am never a gatekeeper for who hears the word of God. No, everyone hears, everyone is violent because they were just like me and they need to know who Christ is. It's a good thing because it keeps us from thinking that somehow salvation is our own and so now I have to keep and maintain it and I have to get on the treadmill and run through these disciplines to remain a Christian. No, all that leads to is fear and legalism. But Christ's doing it for me. The Spirit changing me frees me. And I know that I'm born again in him, not based on my own doing, but on his. I love how Russell Moore, author, puts it like this. He says, we're not promoted into the kingdom. We're not recruited into the kingdom. We are born again into the kingdom. Born again to newness of life. And we arrive as we arrive in the first birth, carried by a power other than our own. We're not promoted. You don't do the steps and get your gold stars and all of a sudden into the kingdom. You're not recruited into the kingdom. You know, some recruits are here. Scouts are here. They're going to recruit me into the kingdom of God when they see my good stuff. No. You're carried along by another power. The Holy Spirit moves as it wills. And it causes us to praise God. We rejoice in what he has done. We rejoice in how he has saved me. We rejoice and celebrate that he has changed sinners into saints. That he's made us, remade us from the inside out, transformed us, and we praise him so much we know that he can do it to the worst of the worst and even the seemingly best of not the best we hold it out towards everyone and celebrate him. And if you know Jesus, this is what he has done for you. He made you from the inside out, transformed you bit by bit. And sometimes we struggle because we look at our lives and say, man, I question whether he, if he's working. And we've got to remind ourselves that this is a process as he's remaking us and conforming us to the image of his son and that we know from a Philippians that once he begins a good work, he's going to carry out completion. And we know from Romans that if, if we love him and he loves us, nothing can separate us from that. And so we're assured that he's going to finish this work that he started. He's going to carry us home. And so we rejoice and we praise him. The new life requires a new you. And it defies our understanding. Nicodemus didn't understand. And we're right there along with him sometimes, right? Nicodemus hears that we need to be born again. And what does he say? Can a man enter his mother's womb? And what does this mean? He says, how can these things be? It defies our understanding. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, it's not that you have an intellectual problem grasping this. Rather, is you have a belief problem grasping me. For he says, if you knew me, if if you would listen to my testimony about who I am, you would understand this. For how can someone know that they need to be born again or understand what that means without first knowing who Jesus is and what he does for us? Jesus says, you must know me. And if you know me, you start understanding what I'm speaking, and this can only be revealed to you by our Father in heaven. It's a common motif you see in the New Testament again and again. Jesus says the Father actually reveals who I am to my people. This is why when uh, uh, Jesus is asking the disciples in the in the Gospel of Matthew, he asks them, "Hey, who do people say?" And they're t- kind of re- Who they say Jesus is? He goes, Well, who do you say? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How does Jesus reply to him? He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. That God reveals what we need to know about Jesus to Jesus' people, to his people, so we can follow him and know it. Otherwise, we'll not grasp it because we cannot understand new life because we're so trapped in our sin. We're so trapped, separated from God, that we need someone to free us from that. And the Holy Spirit does that, frees us from that to respond to who Christ is. So we shouldn't be surprised when people don't understand who Christ is or our message or us shouldn't be surprised by that. but We respond in faith and trust and pray and share, knowing that God can reveal it to them, knowing the Spirit can move in powerful ways that defy our understanding and change hearts where we cannot convince someone of something different. And so we trust in God and pray for him to move powerfully because a new life requires a new you. And this is all accomplished in Christ. It's not our own doing. It's not our own wishing for it to happen. It's accomplished in Christ. For when we have been born again, we see that this is God's doing it. He's bringing about why, how? Because he's applying what Christ did for us back into our lives. And we know that it's because Christ died for us. And when we believe in him, we have this new life. Jesus says this at the end of the passage. He says, he, he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is pointing back to one of those crazy, cool passages in the Old Testament in Numbers uh, 21, verses 4 through 9. If you remember the story, the Israelites, God's people, out in the desert, and they keep on murmuring, complaining, about the situation God has put them in. And so all of a sudden, a plague of poisonous snakes comes into the camp and starts biting people, and they start dying. And Moses intercedes on their behalf to God, and God goes, okay, Moses, make a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole, lift it up, and anyone who's bit by these poisonous snakes, when they look upon this bronze snake, they will be healed, and they will live. And Jesus says, just like that snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. We hear that and am like, What like, what's he saying? But it connects to how Jesus saves us in two ways. That just like people looked upon this snake and they had faith in the God that the snake pointed to and they were healed from those, those snake bites, so... When Jesus is lifted up, if we have faith in him and trust in the Father who sent him, we know that us who are dying, just like those people who are dying from a snake bite, will be made new and will be healed and have life. But it also connects to what Jesus says because Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, was lifted up. On that Friday, after being wrongly tried and convicted of things he did not do, after being beaten and whipped, and after carrying his cross through Jerusalem out to the garbage heaps outside of town, Jesus was nailed to a cross and then lifted up for all to see. That on that cross, our sins, if we believed in him, if we believe in him, are nailed to that cross as well. And his righteousness, his right standing with God is given to those who look upon him and believe. So we are saved. Why? Because Christ has died for us. Christ has saved us. That we look upon him and we believe. The new life we have is in Christ and him dying in our stead, in him and him living in our stead, and him giving what was His to us so that we can now re-enter a relationship with our Father in heaven. The new life requires a new you. accomplished by Christ, achieved by Christ, gained by Christ, brought, bought by Christ, applied to you by the Spirit, and the new life requires a new you. A new you. It's amazing how many products make that promise. Go on this diet plan. And you'll be a new you. Get this skin treatment. Go and get this makeover. Get this thing and you'll be a new you. Have turn that new leaf. Change those habits and you'll find the new you. Now some of these are great and good and they can have great benefits. But guess what? They don't go deep enough. Because all they do is change the external. Even when they change the habits, it's just what you're doing. We need something deeper than that. And we have to ask ourselves, how can you change you? You can't. But Christ can. He can change you. He can cause you to be born again. He can remake you from the inside out. He can take your affections that desire the things of this world and point them instead to your Holy Father. He can make take a person who's broken and weak and make them strong in the Lord. He can take someone who has messed up again and again and put them on solid ground to follow him. He can take a husband that does not love as he's supposed to and put into his heart love. He can take a wife who does not love as she is supposed to and change her as well. He can take families that are broken through sin and bring them back together. He can take relation, any kind of relationship. He can take someone who is lost in any kind of sin and bring them back to God. From the inside out, he works and changes us. And so we must have Christ we must have Christ we must be united in Christ in his death so that on his cross our sins are nailed we must be united to Christ in his life when he rises again so that we too have the hope of eternal life we must be united to Christ as one who walked full of the spirit so that we too can walk full of the spirit we must have Christ for without him we are dead For without Him, we have no hope. For without Him, darkness awaits. So look to Christ, run to Christ, rejoice in Christ, proclaim Christ, trust in Christ, follow Christ, obey Christ. We must have Christ. Because a new life requires a new you. And the only way to become new is through Him, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. Thank you so much for your word that we can know who you, who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that we can respond to what you've done, that we can love you, that you can move in our hearts, in our minds, and change us from rebel's to loving servants. Change us from sinners to saints. Thank you, Lord, for how you love us and continue to love us and continue to lead us, continue to grow us day by day, bit by bit. Lord, I pray for everyone here. For those who might not know Christ, that they know you, see you, rejoice in you. For those who do know you, that they rejoice in you, celebrate you, and hold you out towards all people they might know. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.